school. I'd come to faith right before uh, high school, and I had thought I shouldn't be anxious, and 17 out of every 18 thoughts were anxious. And so I just read that over and over again, and I thought that might cure my anxiety. I felt a bunch of emotions after my anxious thoughts. You, you know what I'm talking about? I would feel anxious, and then as soon as I felt anxious, I felt shame. And, and then I would feel this, uh, that I, I lacked the right ways to pray, or I lacked power, I lacked self-control, I lacked strength. That's so whatever I was anxious about at the front end, I just became doubly anxious about. And I just would turn back there and read that again and, and feel like, well, the flowers can get it right, and I can't, what's wrong with me? And just be more and more anxious. And it was a spiral that lasted until about today. And I always saw it as failure on, on my part. I'm doing this wrong. It says, don't be anxious. And I am anxious. And I don't want to be anxious. But I keep feeling anxious. And it doesn't seem to be solved by me feeling shame and guilt about being anxious. And then I would search anxious in like a Bible gateway thing. And a bunch of verses would come up that say just, I read it as if they said, just pray, it'll all go away silly little Matt, and it didn't work. Am I talking just to myself, or there are a few of us in the room who, who know this cycle? Maybe not as sadly as I know it, but I think I'm not the only one who's been in that place. So for this morning, I want to suppose something, and we're going to try something on. What if these words that were written long ago in this letter in Philippians and in Matthew that, we, that Pastor Rob just read, what if those words could be used to speak gently to us? What if those words could be read in a different way? And we're going to try that this morning. So if you're like me and you have been in the death spiral of anxiety and all of that at different times, if you have lived with worry as a middle name, um, I mean, truthfully, therapy helps, spiritual direction helps, diet and sleep help, all those kind of things. But for now, as we look at scripture, what, what can we do with this? And what if these words are meant more gently than we often read them? That's what I'm going to propose, okay? You can tell me after if you choose to accept or not. Philippians 4, 4 begins like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So we were just talking about anxiety a moment ago, and then I read these words about rejoicing, and this can feel a little, like, frankly, a little abrupt, right? But this paragraph is, in this letter is about worry and anxiety and all this, and he begins with this idea of rejoice always. And I feel like, I would love to have joy, always. There have been a lot of days where I was like, I would love to tell my face to be happier. I, I would love to not live as Eeyore, constantly. But I've just spent a lot of days being there, and how, how do I move from this anxiety to this rejoicing? Now, the Greek word for rejoice means rejoice. But we don't use that word outside of church very often, right? So what would it mean in our everyday life? It's kind of like saying celebrate. 
We don't like to be that, but it's, it's reality. We want to be solid, we want to be strong, and yet often we're like a leaf or a blade of grass. We get tossed around, we get beaten up. And we feel like we lack any power and control, oftentimes. Not every day, but too many of them. I hear our stories. There's a lot of times where we feel like that. And it's in the face of this that we read celebrate. Not just your situation. You don't have to celebrate, woohoo, I'm getting whipped around by my circumstances. That's not it. It is celebrate in the Lord. Okay, that doesn't even sound like good news to some of us. Like, great, go celebrate God who could fix my circumstances and doesn't seem to be doing that, and we could spiral again there. But this is really this union thing we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. This attachment that we have to Jesus. This fact that we're not united to death like we once were. We're now united with Christ. And so we get to, even in the face of our circumstances, even in the face of our anxiety, we get to celebrate that that doesn't tear us apart. We get to celebrate that there's not much that we can count on. We can count on that. We can celebrate this bond with Jesus, that it can withhold everything you're facing. Not because you are so good at hanging on, but because Jesus is. Last night I was in a meeting with a few of us, and, and we were talking through just our life. We did a quick update with each other, and then the, the verse of, come to me, all who are weary, came to my mind. And then this feeling of like, ah, some days I don't even have the energy to find you, Jesus. I don't know how. I said, can you find me? And he can. And he does. And we're attached and we remain. And that is good. And so we can celebrate that. If you think that's wild, look at what Paul says next. In, In this paragraph about worry. He says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Rejoice and be gentle. I'm not saying that those are ways to cure anxiety. But there's something interesting happening here. The circumstances that you're facing, those are the circumstances. They are what they are. For Paul, it was imprisonment, it was threats, it was violence, and everything else is churches seem to be unraveling. Every, everything seemed to be being tossed upside down. But he was inviting the Philippians to be like himself and celebrate this connection to Jesus and not let the circumstances change who they are. This gentleness is more than just be somebody who can like hold a pet bunny and not squish it. Like Gentleness is more than that. This gentleness is about being someone who accepts other people as they are. Oftentimes us as as Christians, us who worship somewhere on a Sunday, especially in our culture, we are great at loving someone else as who we want them to be and kind of blaming them or shaming them until they change into who we want them to be. And you marry that to the word joy and we can have really a, a troubling place that never has room for anyone who's anxious to come in, you know. We just beat each other up with that a bit too much. But this gentleness is we're to accept people as they are. We're to celebrate them as they are. We're to live with preloaded forgiveness for other people. There's not an offense yet, but we're ready. Not expecting them to offend, but expecting to meet with 
generosity and grace in such a way that that's known to everybody. As I was writing this part of the sermon, I just sat for a little while in my backyard. I'm like, okay, Lord, what would this look like? And who does one church need to be gentle towards? And I think as a general rule, I mean, it's a, it's a good question to ask. Who in your life do you need to live with this preloaded forgiveness and kindness towards? But in general, for us, I think it's ourselves. I've noticed that we, we try to be fairly, not perfectly, but fairly gentle towards others. People we have met and people we anticipate meeting someday. People we know from our own story and people that we read of and hear of. We try to live with a preloaded forgiveness. We try to live accepting of where people are coming from. But we're not very good at doing that towards ourselves. And if I'm honest, if we can't do that towards ourselves, that's not good news for the next person who walks in. (laughs) If we love them, but not us, that's not very good news. If we can forgive them for things they haven't even done, but we can't forgive us for the things we have, that's not very good news. You would never remember someone else's offense as long as you remember your own. You don't approach others the way you approach yourself. And so maybe, maybe this generosity, this gentleness, this kindness, we can allow Jesus to teach us to be that for us, and then for us, and then for all. I think that'd be a gift. I think everyone would see it and be drawn to it if we could live in such a way. Now Paul says that we're, we're to live with this gentleness to be known towards everyone because the Lord is near. And people don't know if this nearness is in time or in space. They don't know if Paul's saying because Jesus is coming back tomorrow, which it seems like Paul kind of missed the boat on that and thought he would have come quite a long time ago. Or if he's talking about Jesus being near like with you, like Emmanuel, right? For me, in my life, there's great comfort to the idea of Jesus being near spatially. On my days when I am spinning out of control with anxiety or worry, when circumstances hit hard, the thing from Scripture that I grab onto was that Jesus was Emmanuel and is Emmanuel. He's God with us, God near. And maybe the time thing works better for you. For me, space, if, if Jesus is near me and we're attached, I, I think I'll be okay. So that's been a real gift in my life. Now we finally get to the anxiety piece, which you guys are really excited about. I know, I can, I can tell. I can tell. Here's what Paul says. Do not worry about anything, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. I grew up thinking this meant don't worry about anything. End of story. I grew up thinking that this meant there was something wrong if I did worry. That I didn't have faith, I didn't have trust, I did everything wrong. 
And a moment of confession, this week, for whatever reason, was a pretty anxious week for me. I was really good at worrying this week. It just kept coming. I couldn't shake it. I woke up worrying, and, and it felt like it was about two steps ahead of me all week long. And so I knew that this sermon was coming. I knew I was preaching on this topic. And so I paid attention to how I handled it and even how I read these verses. And this verse is where I was certain throughout my life that I was doing everything wrong. I would try to not worry. I would try to pray the worry away, and five minutes later it would sneak back. And so we have to read this different, right? Or else it's not good news. In the message, this paraphrase is helpful, I think. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Do we know? Don't, don't worry. But I don't know if we know you're not evil if you do worry. You're not the worst of people if you do worry. It's do we have anything to do when worry comes? And I think what Paul is saying here, or at least what these words that, that we believe are living and, and impact our lives, what they mean for me now, is that when worry comes, when anxiety comes, and takes over my mind and my heart, I have somebody that I'm attached to that I can go talk to about that. Often, in my, my little version of church history, my life within the church, if anxiety came in, that meant I couldn't talk to anyone about it. I had to sort that out first, and then I would have a great testimony to give somebody. But I think part of what's being said here, part of what speaks to my heart, is when worry comes, you have someone to talk to about it. Talk to God about it. Do your best to not let it just fester inside alone. But then there's something interesting. Paul, Paul says, utilize Thanksgiving as like an anchor. When you're worrying, think of what you can be thankful of. Now, I, I would tell my family growing up that I had, I, I was anxious, I was worried. And then as I became an adult, and Nikki and friends started helping me become more uh, mature and healthy. I, I just talk real honest with uh, my family of origin, especially. And I remember one time my mom was like, have you done a thankfulness journey, uh, journal? And I was like, no, that's a dumb answer. I said, I'm worried you're telling me to be thankful. Like, stop it. And then she kept bringing up this little journal that she did at night. Oh, I write three things I'm thankful for. And I remember I was totally a butt. I was like, oh, three things you're thankful for. And then you pay attention and like, oh, people who like focus a little bit on thankful, it changes something in us. When we take a little bit of time for gratitude, it does change things. I'm not saying it cures all anxiety, but it, it, it kind of repositions us a little bit, particularly when memory and gratitude are tied together. When we look back on the day or the week, for some things that we're grateful for. In her book where she's telling a memoir on her 
journey through complex trauma, Stephanie Fu writes uh, of, of gratitude and thankfulness. She said, we alike with food, like that one miraculous pret chicken parmesan wrap, when you take the time to savor the good, you simply need less of it. And she writes about this one sandwich she ate in New York City and how grateful she was for the taste. And she had had the sandwich before and all this, but something about this one sandwich as she was trying to practice gratitude stood out to her. And she just needed less of those moments when she started to notice them coming. And so a real thing that we can implement here that I think is, is coming out of Paul, is coming out of places, is savoring this good, having gratitude. We don't burn through as much goodness when we notice it. And we can hold our anxiety, our worry differently. We can hold our worry more loosely. We don't have to see it as this inevitable doom. But we have something else. Oh yeah, that is true, but also that Parmesan wrap that I ate is true as well. That conversation with that friend as well. Jesus talked about worry beautifully. He spoke about not needing to worry about food, drink, our bodies, our clothing. And I always took that as if he's speaking shamefully to me. Stop it, Matt. Get over yourself. But maybe he's saying something very different. And maybe when he turns our attention to nature, it's on purpose. Maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about. There's something that happens in me. There's something that happens when I step over the, the giant pumpkin patch thing we've got growing in the backyard, and I step back into the little wildflower place, and I watch the bees and the butterflies and sometimes even the hummingbird. And I just sit there for a while. There's something that happens when I go from trying to get a a walk for exercise in Iroquois Park, and then I just slow down for a small stretch and notice the deer, or notice the weird way these trees grow. Something that happens to me when I'm in nature. It doesn't take all my worry away. It doesn't take all my anxiety away. But I view them from a different place. I see things differently. And I'm not saying, shame on you, Matt. That lily's fine. That bird's fine. That's not what's happening. There's just something that happens when I remember that we're all in this together. What if we carried our worry with us into some space of nature? Open-handed. What if we found ourselves there? Could God meet you through a cosmos flower, through a hummingbird? Next, Paul says these words, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This assurance is one I would hold on to. For weeks, we've been talking about being in this union with Jesus, being attached to Jesus. And he says right here, this, this union with Christ Jesus will guard your heart and mind. On top of your anxiety, don't worry that you're going to lose your heart and mind as well. Don't worry that you're going to lose your attachment to Jesus. He's got you. He will hold you there. God is keeping our hearts and our minds attached 
to Jesus. We feel scared that we've drifted away, yet we're anchored to Christ. The next few verses are, are the sorts of things that we can think about to replace worry. It's a great, simple little list. It's permissive. Look over it this week at some time if you have a chance. But for today and this week, I wonder, what if we used these three anchors as worry and anxiety come up? What if we tried celebrating that God's near? Not trying to shrug away our worry, not pretending it's all cured, but just celebrating. Okay, what do I have to be grateful for? What do I have to be thankful for? Or sneak away for 10, 15 minutes, a half hour into nature, without an agenda, just to notice and pay attention to what happens within us. This letter is written in a communal way, right? It's written to a church that is in different homes, and they read it out loud, and they talk about it and all of that, and we live at a different time, but we have some advantages. And, and so I want to invite us to interact this week. So we've got that little Facebook page. There, there's the one that's for us. I don't know. The group? Facebook group. If you're not on it, uh, talk to Kat. She's smart. But I want to encourage, let, let's encourage each other this week. Maybe go on there. I, I don't like that I just said I go on Facebook, but maybe go on Facebook and go into that group and, and post a picture somewhere that you like to go when you're anxious, when you're worried. Go post a picture of a place where you find God. Maybe one of you want to, or two of you or three of you want to take on being thankful and you want to do it kind of publicly or you want someone to ask you about it next Sunday, write it in there. And throughout this week, there, there's a lot of heavy things that we're carrying. There's a lot of real circumstances we're worried about. Let's, let's walk this together. Let's practice celebrating God's nearness. Let's practice this gratitude moments in nature and see what might happen. I'm not saying it's the cure-all, but I am saying that we're not given a faith that's to avoid the realities of our day. We're not given a Jesus who works as just an escape pod from our lives. It's in our circumstances, in the very real things that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, in the middle of those that Jesus intends to make you whole. And I don't, I don't have the perfect formula that he's going to use, but maybe for a week, let's try these on. And let's see what God might do with that. Let's see how we hold anxiety after we spend a little bit of time in these ways. I'm a week ahead of you. I've been practicing. It feels a little different. There's hope in the midst of it. For you, I hope there is too. I want to give you just a moment to be still. For some of us, we might need to just name what we're anxious about.
you might want to make a commitment within yourself or ask God to remind you of something. But I'm going to give you a minute to just sit still, and then I'm going to lead us in communion that reminds us of this union we have with Jesus.